Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Hey guys, my name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you so much uh, for coming to a special service. Communion is one of our favorite services that we do all year, just taking a time for the entire service to reflect on this promise that God has given us on this covenant. You know, people have been making promises for a long time. Uh, people have been striking deals, making covenants. Uh, covenant is a, is a biblical term for the word promise. When we see a promise or a deal being struck in Scripture, they often use this, this word covenant. But I, I can remember some of the first promises that I ever made uh, back in elementary school. You know how you used to sign uh, the dotted line, like seal the deal in an elementary school, and you made a promise? This right here. It's called a pinky promise, right? I don't know what it is. There's something magical in your little pinky that, that ensures that when you interlock with another five-year-old's pinky, the thing that you are promising becomes unbreakable. You have to do this. Now, it's, it's impossible for it to be a lie. It's a pinky promise. You locked pinkies. There's no turning back now. Um, I was recently volunteering at the elementary school where my daughter goes, and I literally saw two boys making a promise to one another, and they spit in their hand, and they shook each other's hands. Yes! Now we know why when one kid gets the flu, all the children get the flu at the school. Some pretty, pretty weird ways that people make promises. It, it's hard to believe this, but maybe 30, 40, even 50 years ago, there was no paperwork that had to be drawn up. There were no legal agreements that would had to be made. Like The, the thing that people would, would do to seal a deal was just a handshake. I mean, a person's handshake meant that much. It carried that much weight. There was no paperwork needed to be signed. If you shook someone's hand, you were giving them your word. And that was all that was needed. And and other times, uh, even just a promise, even just telling someone, I'm a a man of my word, I'm a woman of my word, what I'm telling you, I will do. And that, that was enough. They didn't have any other reason not to believe them. I guess the integrity of the character or the person that you were dealing with meant a lot. But today, it's, it's all legal, right? You have to hire lawyers when you want to get a loan or buy a house or make a deal. You want to make sure that everything is combed over and all the terms and agreements are, are laid out. And then, and then finally, it's, not, it's nothing final. I don't care how much you talk. I don't care how many hands you shake. You can even spit in your hand if you want to before you shake. But it doesn't matter until you sign the dotted line. If your name is not on the contract or you haven't endorsed it, there is no deal. Like there's, you can't move forward with that without that in, in today's culture. Um, when we were growing up, maybe you used to say, I promise. But then if it was a real big promise, like if you were really serious about it, some people would say, I swear, okay? That's next level promise right there. And then some people would say, I, I swear to God. Or I had a guy once tell me, I swear on my mother's grave. What does that mean? Like, does that mean if you back out on it, we have to dig her up? Because that sounds like a lot of work right there. Can we just, can we just shake hands and spit or what? Like, I don't, I don't know, but it, it seems like it escalates. It gets serious. As, as you read in Scripture, uh, there was actually a, a few different, very interesting, very unique ways that people would seal a deal. 
Again, in Scripture, it's called a covenant. But uh, one of the ways, look it up, it's totally legit. One of the ways is when, when two men would make a, a covenant, would enter into an agreement or have a contract, they wouldn't shake hands, they wouldn't sign a, a document. They would literally grab each other on the inner thigh. That is no joke. Thank goodness that we've moved past that. Can we just shake hands? I mean, can you imagine how awkward it would be for a first-time guest to walk in and somebody's like, hey, man, let me welcome you. <laughs> It's like, you need to turn around and go back to your car. This is the wrong church. <laughs> oh, man, so weird. We've moved past that, though. But we're going to look at a passage in Genesis chapter 15 this morning. Again, a very, very odd way of sealing a deal. God has made a lot of promises in Scripture to His people. And uh, I'm here to, to tell you this morning that God is not only a promise maker, but He's also a promise keeper. And did you know that God has made you and I a promise? He's made us the best promise, he's entered into the most amazing covenant that you and I have ever heard of or will ever hear from. And the, the precursor to it, one of the examples that we find is in Genesis chapter 15. Now, here's the background story behind it. God is speaking to Abram. This was before he became Abraham. His name is Abram. And God tells him two very powerful, incredible, interesting, great Things. He says, I want to make a covenant with you, Abraham. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you the father of a nation. I'm going to use you. You are going to be the, 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 the father of this nation of people that love me and follow me. And so it will come from your bloodline, your lineage. And at that moment, Abraham probably would have laughed out loud uh, because his wife currently was 90 years old. Can you imagine going home and talking to your wife of if she was 90 years old? Like if I went home and talked to my grandma and said, Hey, I heard from God today. You're going to have a baby. Woo! Surprise! Actually, not just one. You're going to have a whole nation. So, wow, prepare yourself, right? <laughs> Got to be weird. Man, imagine Sarah hearing, hearing that. But not only did God say, I'm going to use you to be the father of a nation who your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. He also looks at him and says, I'm going to give you a land to call your own. In Scripture, that's called the promised land. God promised the nation of Israel a land. He wanted his people to have an identity. He wanted his people to have the, the power and the, the authority that came with the land. Because up until this point, they were nomads, right? And they didn't have anywhere to call their own. They would just move from land to land to land. Can we stay here? Can we pitch our tents here? Can we, can we make this home? And they would stay for a little while and then continue to wander on. And they desperately needed a land. And so God comes up to Abram and says, I'll make you a promise. Let's cut a deal. I'm going to make you the father of, of my nation, the, 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 the father of many descendants, a very powerful nation, and, and I'm going to give you a place to live. I'm going to provide you with a land. That's a promise. Let's even call it the promised land. And, and Abram, being a good businessman, he was obviously a good businessman because in Genesis chapter 15, verse 8, this is, this is what he said after God had, had told him these two promises to make this covenant. He said, but I said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How do I know that this is the real deal? How, can we sign some paperwork? Can we write this down? Because, I mean, hear me out, God. I'm getting ready to go tell my 90-year-old wife what you said. Can I have your signature on something here? Like, can you give me a sign? Or what am I supposed to say? How do I know this is the real deal? God, let's enter into a covenant. 
Let's, let's sign the dotted line. God, what do you want to do? And so, God, this is what God says to do for this covenant. In verse 9, uh, he, God, said to him, Abram, bring me a heifer, a female cow, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a partridge in a... Okay, too soon? Okay. It's September. Christmas is coming. You need to be prepared. A turtle dove and a young pigeon. These are the animals. And in verse 10, he says, And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. So here's the, the picture here. It's on one side of the room, there's a half of all these animals. On the other side of the room, there's the other half of all these animals that Abraham has sacrificed, just like God told him to do. And in the middle, just like in the auditorium, there's an aisle. There's a pathway, and this is how God sometimes would make covenants. This is a common Old Testament covenant. God would call two parties together. Two parties would come, and they would sacrifice these animals, cut them in half, and lay their bodies on opposite sides of the room. And here's what they would do. The two parties would have a discussion. They would lay out the terms. This is what I'm going to do. Okay, well, this is what I'm going to do in return. And, and, and to sign the paperwork, here's what they did. They wouldn't sign on a dotted line. They didn't, they didn't shake hands. Here's what both parties would do. Both parties would walk down the middle of the aisle. They would walk in between these animals that had been sacrificed. And if you walk down the aisle, that was just like you saying, I will be faithful to uphold my end of the bargain. Whatever I have just promised you, I will come through and I will deliver. And the meaning behind it was to have these animals on both sides. This is what the two parties were agreeing. If I back out on my end of the bargain, then the same fate that happened to these animals can happen to me. They were signing their life away. They're saying, if I'm unfaithful, if I mess up, if I don't do the right thing, then the punishment for me is you can cut me in half and, and lay me out in the middle of the field just like these animals were, were laid out. Kind of a serious thing there. In, in 1972, one of my favorite movies, The Godfather, came out. And at the very beginning of the movie, uh, the, the Don, the Godfather, Don Vito Corleone, his godson came in and he needed a favor from his, from his godfather. And the godfather says, all right, I promise I'll, I'll make it happen. Give me a little bit of time and what you've requested is going to happen. And the godson said, no, no, you don't, you don't understand. Like, I, how are you going to do this? What, what's going to happen? And, and the Don gives one of the most iconic lines in all of American film. He says, how are you going to do it, I'm going to make him an offer that he can't refuse. Ultimately, he was saying, he's going to do what I say, or I'm going to kill him. Abram was entering into a relationship, into a covenant that said, I'll do what I tell you to do, what I promise you that I will do, or you can kill me. Like, there's an offer you can't refuse. And so as these parties would walk down the aisle, they were making a bold statement that I'll, I'll keep my end of the bargain, I'm faithful, I'm good for it, you can trust me, if not, then I'm signing my life away. Many, many covenants in Scripture were made that. But here's the interesting thing. In, in verse 17 of Genesis 15, we see the actual signing of the covenant happen. And this is what verse 17 said. It says, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. In the middle of the night, Abram looks up, and going down the middle of the aisle, he sees a flaming torch and a smoking pot. 
Now, in Old Testament, you'll remember that fire and smoke were the two manifestations of God. That's how God would reveal himself. Moses and the burning bush, it was the fire that happened. How did God lead his people through the wilderness? It was fire by night and a cloud by day. Smoke and fire were a symbol of God. So here's what Abram ended up looking up seeing. He saw God walking down the middle of the aisle, signing the covenant. There's two really interesting things that we can glean from these verses. The first one is this. Why is God walking down the middle of the the aisle? Why is God signing the paperwork? God doesn't need anything. God's not in a jam. God doesn't need friends. He doesn't need people. He doesn't need a land to call his own. He owns it all. Why is God signing the paperwork? Why would the very presence of God be made known? Imagine this. What what if you went to a bank and you wanted to get a loan and both of the parties looked up at the terms and they said, this is how much I'm going to give you. This is what the bank's going to do. I'm going to give you a half million dollars. And and then you're on the other side of the table and you say, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make monthly payments. And if I don't, then I'm going to sign on the dotted line that you can repossess the house, that you can come and arrest me. You can take everything that I own. That's just part of the deal. And Here's what would happen. The the bank would sign on the bottom line and say, I'll provide you with the money. And then you would sign on the line saying, I agree to pay the money back. But with this, it's a little different. Not only does God sign on the dotted line and say, I'll be faithful. I'll give you exactly what you want. I'll provide for you what what you need. But the second interesting point of this Abram never walked down the aisle. It says God signed the paperwork. God put his name on the contract. God made the promise. And instead of looking at Abram and saying, all right, here's the deal, Abram. I'm going to go halfway. We're both going to walk down the aisle. I'm going to go halfway and give some, and you're going to go halfway and give some. I'm not going to go the whole way. Like I'm not doing this all by myself. You're the one that needs the, the people. You're the one that needs the land. It's not my problem. I'm just hooking you up. Here's ultimately what God does. God draws up the terms And imagine if you were sitting in that same bank and the banker, your loan officer, signed on his line that says, I'll promise to give you the money. I'll keep my end of the bargain. And what if he slid you that paperwork? And then that loan officer stood up and walked around to your side of the table and sat down. And he grabbed that pen and he signed his name on the other blank. What if he said, if you can't pay the debt, then I'll pay it. What if he said, I'll give you what you need and I'll still carry the burden. I'll still take the responsibility. I'll make sure that the deal is good. I won't even give you a chance to fail. I won't even give you a responsibility to have. Like if you know that banker, if that's your bank, call me. I want to start banking with them. It's exactly what God did. He was the only one that signed the covenant. He looked at Abram and said, you know that promise that I made you? It's going to come true. You want to know why? Because I'm faithful. Because I'm good. Because I love you. And I'm not even going to make you sign on the dotted line because there's nothing you can do. And this is, about, this is about me. Now, fast forward to the year 33 AD. God makes another great promise. God sees the world lost and broken in sin. We are hopeless. There's nothing that we can do on our own to reach God. And Scripture says that God sent His Son, Jesus, down to earth to live 
a perfect, sinless life and to die a bloody, gruesome death. And for the second time in Scripture, we see that God walks down the aisle for me and you. God doesn't look at you and say, all right, listen, I'm going to send Jesus, but I'm only going halfway. You're going to have to do some stuff. You're going to have to jump through some hoops. You're going to have to earn your salvation. You're going to have to check these blocks off. Like, I'm doing my part. If you don't do your part, then don't be mad if you don't get to heaven. If you're not faithful, if you lie, if you cheat, if you steal, if you ever turn your back on me, if you ever say anything bad about me, if you ever disobey me, then the deal's off. I'll rip the contract up. I did my part. You just didn't do your part, but that's not what God did. That's not the deal that God struck. See, God sent his son Jesus to take care of it all. He says, I'm not going to make you shed your blood. I'll send my son to die on your behalf. I'm not going to make you try to find your way to me. I'm going to send my son down to you. I'm not going to make you sign your name on the dotted line and give you a bunch of things that you have to do in order to have eternal life. I'm just going to send you my son Jesus. And what a, what a great story of how God walks down the aisle for us. About how Jesus' body was broken and his blood was spilt for us. A sacrifice for us. So that we wouldn't have to go through that. So that there would be no hoops that we had to jump through. So that there would be not a checklist that we had to do. Jesus said, I'll sign both lines. I'll take care of it. And we see as scripture unfolds through the Passion Week that Jesus ultimately gave up his life for us. God makes it very clear. Your salvation is not from you, it's from me. Your eternity with God is not earned by you. It was given by my son Jesus. God says there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to to good deeds your way into heaven. There's nothing that you can do. You will fall short every time. Your faithfulness is not faithful enough. But guess what? Mine is. And so I'll take the sacrifice. I'll send my son so that you don't have to die. I'll shed his blood so that you don't have to sacrifice yourself. What a great promise. What a great covenant to have. Very last thing that Jesus said when he was on the cross was, it is finished. Scripture says he gave up his life. Well, the Greek word for uh, that, that term, it is finished, is tetelestai. Tetelestai, that, that literally means, if you translate it in literal, it means the debt has been paid in full. It's a stamp that used to be placed on the top of a bill of sale in the first century or a receipt. If you paid for it, then they would write the word tetelestai on the top. It was a stamp that the debt was, was paid. See, when Jesus gave his life for us, he looks at us and says, Oh no, the debt is paid. You don't have to walk the aisle. You don't have to make a promise. You don't have to sacrifice. You don't have to meet me halfway. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to wake up every morning in fear thinking, if I die today, have I done enough? Is it going to be good enough? Did I please God enough? No. God sent his son Jesus to walk the aisle for you. And as we have communion and we look at the, the bread, it stands for the body that was broken. But this covenant says, instead of your body being broken, I'll let my sons be broken. 
And as you look at that cup of juice, you need to realize that instead of having a knife to your throat saying you must pay for your sins, you must give the ultimate sacrifice because you are not faithful, because you turn your back on God. No, God allows his own son, his blood to be spilt on your behalf. The sacrifice was made by God, not by you. God looks down and signs the dotted line. He walks the aisle for us. What an incredible promise. <laughs> what, what an incredible thing to celebrate. It means y- you are not on the hook for your sin. You don't pay for your transgressions. God, through his son Jesus, stamps at the top of your life, paid in full. The ransom has already been paid. The debt is gone. It is finished because of the blood of Jesus. Guys, that's something to get excited about. Man, I hope that your hearts today are overflowing with thankfulness, that it is not your broken body and your lost life, but that it was Jesus. That God would love you so much and care about you so much that despite our sins, he would send somebody else to pay for them. So many people in the world right now are looking at God and saying, no, 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 God, you can't do that. No, you're not. I'm not going to let you send your son. I'm going to earn it. I can find my way to you. I can do what it takes in order to get to you and in order to check the list off. Like, I'll earn it. I'll try my best. But when God sent his son Jesus, he said, nope, I'll walk the aisle. I'll pay the price. You'll never be good enough. Your sacrifice will never be enough. As we stand up together in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come down the middle aisle and grab your elements and and walk back to your seat. We're going to enjoy the elements together after this next song, but I, I want you to remember, as you stand up and walk down that aisle, say thank you to Jesus for walking down the aisle for you that the covenant was made so that you could have salvation, so that you could have freedom, so that you could experience who Jesus really is. As we take these elements together, I, I hope that our hearts would be open, that our eyes and ears would be in tune with what God is trying to communicate to us today. That through a sacrifice on the cross 2,000 years today ago, today we can worship Today we can have freedom. Today we can experience who God really is. The love, the mercy, the grace, the compassion, and the desire that he has to have a relationship with you this morning. Stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to think that you'll be good enough and accept the fact that God sent Jesus to walk down the aisle for you.